It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. A powerful moment in Uvalde's town square this weekend as hundreds gathered to worship and pray for healing. We are here to pray for the people here to, to bring the light to Uvalde, to spread prayer, to, to just lift people up and let them know that Jesus is here with them no matter what. One man traveling all the way from Detroit to carry a cross through the town. This is the light of the world and all God wants us to do is hold it up. And that's, that's what, what our intention is, just so everyone can see the light and know that the light will never go out. The downtown memorial now triple in size. Many of the flowers coming from a shop right down the street. The owner tells us everything about this is personal. It's painful because uh, from day one, we make flowers for them uh, when the child is born. We make flowers for their first birthday. We make flowers for their pre-K graduation. We make flowers when it's father-daughter dance at Rob's school. So it hurts right now, everybody. Others are taking their pain to the pavement. Jason Portillo is a police officer from San Antonio, but he grew up in Uvalde. We met as he was running 21 miles for the 21 victims. I just felt being in my hometown, I needed to do something. President Biden and the First Lady visited Uvalde on Sunday after being met with these chants from members of the community. Biden pointed to the crowd and said, we will. All right, so that was a report from Rivaldi that I wanted you to hear because heaven knows we need encouragement. And the point that I think I don't want us to miss is that God does show up. Wherever there is trouble, it's not like he was ever absent, but people who love him are out on the streets trying to bring healing and bring the message of the gospel. And could I remind you, I listened, I just listened, uh, just happen by happenstance to my dear friend, Johnny Tata, who is a quadriplegic that was injured in a diving accident when she was 19. Uh, and I've known Johnny for years. Our lives intersected through a disability ministry with my daughter and with her. Okay, my point is, she was talking about what is happening when there is so much suffering. And certainly she speaks with great authority. She's been in horrible pain besides not being able to use her arms and her legs. Uh, she's had cancer twice, gone through chemo. It's just, it's been a very long journey. She's 72 now and she's still confined to the wheelchair. There are a lot of details about that, but she knows about suffering. And the point that she made in the speech that she gave, gave is that there is more at stake in human tragedy than life itself, than our good health, than the, the lives of our children, than our losing our lives. Really, the point is not the eternal point uh, of our existence on this earth is not maintaining physical health. It's not 
maintaining life even. It is what's inside of us. It is the inside of us. It is our character. It's how we respond to these things. It's uh, the urgency of telling people about Jesus so that when they do lose their lives, uh, they are in eternity with Jesus. They are. It's not the end of the world when a person dies if they know Jesus. That's why people who have funerals who are believers in Christ don't mourn in the same way. They mourn with sort of a hope. They, they, you know, Paul says we are not to be people without hope, and people who know Jesus are not without hope. And so um, there is more at stake here. This is not our story on this earth. It's not your story about your personal problems and my personal problems and how hard it is and well, you know, how difficult life is. And it is, but it is about a larger thing happening on this planet, a much deeper thing. And so um, the people in Uvalde are keeping a long view and they're ministering to each other. And I'm very grateful for that. All right. Meanwhile, back in Uvalde, all kinds of things are uh, coming out about, about what happened there over the weekend. I look. As I said before, if you want to know about this, you have a plethora of information. The bottom line is uh, there's a dispute about whether Border Patrol agents, they, according to the report, they acted unilaterally, ignored the police, and went in and saved the kids. And I don't doubt that that's true. I'm not arguing with that. But a new report says that the reason the police uh, did not go in at the 16 that were inside the building is that they did not have a ballistic shield. Uh, the suspect was barricaded in the room. If they'd walked in the room, they would have been uh, just killed. There was no protection. And then the uh, shooter wouldn't have had access to their equipment. There's people defending this particular view. And one of the officers, one of the 16 standing in that hallway, his child, was inside the classroom and was killed. Uh, so uh, there, there are reasons to think other things. And so as all this confusing report comes out and these accusations, just remember uh, to listen carefully and try to figure out if you can uh, what the what the goal is, you know, there's a lot of this is being quickly transformed into gun control. And we're going to get to that. Uh, but but meanwhile, people are always using these horrible stories uh, to bend it to their will and their way and use it for some sort of political purpose. And you have to be so careful that that doesn't happen, that you don't even allow yourself to make that happen uh, uh, and sort of de- denigrate the sacredness of the loss of human life while pushing some some preconceived agenda, whether it's no guns or pro-guns in your own mind. Just don't lose sight of the empathy and the story there, the important things, the eternal things in trying to make your points. But still, we have to make the points that are true. By the way, the president of the United States went to Uvalde with his wife, and they met with uh, the police officers and Border Patrol who helped on that day and spared their life, and at the last minute, the members of the Border Patrol, uh, many of them who were there, some that were the ones that saved the children, were disinvited from meeting with the president. Very hurtful to them, and it's very suspicious because they were meeting in a room that was plenty large uh, to get all of the Border Patrol agents that were involved in the room, and yet they were disinvited. So that's the latest buzz. But, of course, like I said, everything seems to be turning political, and that's, a, that's not a good thing. Well, Joe Biden uh, spent his week weekend, besides being in Uvalde, he spoke at other places. He was at the Naval Commencement, and uh, this is just interesting, this little short clip of him speaking to the Naval Cadets, who have been some of our—in uh, the history of our country, the Naval Academy has produced some of the greatest— 
people that have ever served in our military. The Navy has an incredibly proud heritage, and it's hard to get in the Naval Academy. So the this is what President Biden had to say, in part, uh, to the students on the, at their commitments commencement. Let's listen. You've all got so much to be proud of. You really do. <laughs> By the way, once you're commissioned, remember, I'm your commander-in-chief. So don't ask me too tough a question, okay? All right. So that's the, the rousing, uh, you know, admonition he gives. He whispers that he's their commander-in-chief. I'm sure that's important on some level. Uh, he also then spoke at the graduation of the University of Delaware, and that's really where I want to go right now. Um, this is really pretty disturbing, and I want to play a few excerpts from the things he said uh, at that speech. This is written by a guy named Nick Arama, who is a... Um, I'm not sure what Nick is. I'm not sure he's a military person. But he said, Biden's weekend of lies, lying about naval appointment, more falsehoods at the University of Delaware. On Saturday, Joe Biden spoke at his alma mater, the University of Delaware, for their 2022 graduation ceremony. The day before, he had spoken at the U.S. Naval Academy and told some despicable lies. He claimed he had received an appointment to the Academy in 1965, which, in fact, he was graduating when, in fact, he was graduating from the University of Delaware in 1965, so it couldn't possibly be true. He also claimed that he didn't go to the Academy, but chose to go to Delaware instead because the Academy had Staubach and Bellino. I didn't come to the Academy because I wanted to be a football star, and you had a guy named Staubach, Roger Staubach, I remember, and Bellino here, so I went to Delaware. Except, says Nick Armana, Roger Staubach, uh, graduated in 65, and Joe Bellino in 61, so that didn't add up either. How do you lie about receiving a naval appointment to Navy graduates? What kind of a person does that? He goes on to say the same person in the same speech lied about the number of times he went to Iraq and Afghanistan and followed that by implying that his son died in combat. Biden, my son spent a year in Iraq, won the Bronze Star, conspicuous service medal. I lost him. His son, Bo, did not die in combat. He died uh, when he came back to the States. I think it was cancer. So you see what the, what the writer's talking about here. Biden continued the lies at his alma mater, repeating the lie about traveling 17,000 miles together with Xi Jinping and meeting on the Tibetan Plateau. He keeps repeating this one, despite the fact that he's been called out on it by the Washington Post. And then he goes on, I, this part I wanted to get to, because he... Uh, at the University of Delaware, he also, this is what he said. He claimed that the January 6th protesters killed police officers on January the 6th, which is, of course, a complete lie. No police officers were killed on January the 6th. And as far as we can tell, they were not attacked. Even uh, police, they, some of those people that were protesting uh, came at the police because they saw them beating people, which... Uh, Roseanne Boylan, a case in point. Uh, but he said that the, that the January 6th protesters killed two people. He says, a mob of insurrectionists stormed the Capitol, the very citadel of democracy. Imagine what you'd be thinking today if you heard this morning before you got there that a group of a 1,000 people broke down the doors of the Parliament of Great Britain and killed two police officers, smashed and ransacked the office. Well, that's a lie, another lie. And so uh, there are other lies, I, 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 but here he goes in deeper in the University of Delaware. He said, get going for God's sake. Godspeed on your journey. Keep the faith and take it back. Take it back. We need you. 
We're in a very dark moment in America where the forces of hate are trying to stop progress. We should not be surprised that those same forces are fighting back again, preying on hopelessness and despair, demonizing people that don't look like them, doing everything, no matter how desperate, to hold on to power. He indicated that President Trump was responsible for fueling the hate, what, uh, but prominent leaders or leader, what prompt, mm-hmm. But when prominent leaders or leader breathe oxygen under the rocket rocks it's hiding in, it takes new life. It comes back roaring in ways I must tell you I never thought would happen. Then he talked about the white supremacists protesting in Charlottesville and linked them with the Trump supporters on January the 6th at the Capitol. Then he said Biden, uh, Biden said the rights to same-sex marriage and abortion are under attack, as well as the right to vote, democracy itself, and the planet from global warning, warming, and urged the graduates to preserve themselves. You know, and then he quotes Abraham Lincoln, let's have faith that right makes might. Do you see how twisted this is? This is so twisted. And so I wanted to take time to tell you how very twisted it is. And then, of course, the NRA met over the weekend, and they were met by lots of protesters. And if you guys could delay the break just enough to finish this, President Trump spoke at the National Rifle Association, uh, and I just want you to hear a little bit of what he had to say in response to what happened in Uvalde. This is clip nine. Well, we... Don't yet know enough about this week's killing. We know there are many things we must do. We need to drastically change our approach to mental health. There are always so many warning signs. Almost all of these disfigured minds share the same profile. When people see something, whether on social media or in school, they need to say something. Teachers, parents, school officials, and community members need to be recognizing and addressing these alarm bells promptly and very, very aggressively. And our school discipline systems, instead of making excuses and continually turning a blind eye, need to confront bad behavior head-on and quickly. And clearly, we need to make it far easier to confine the violent and mentally deranged into mental institutions. We have also, very importantly, got to deal with the problem of broken families because no law can cure the effects of a broken home. There is no substitute for a strong mom and a great dad. But while we work to address these deep, complicated issues and deal with this scourge, all of us must unite, Republican and Democrat, in every state and at every level of government, to finally harden our schools and protect our children. All right, that was President Trump. You guys can start the music at uh, the uh, National Rifle Association meeting in Houston. And, of course, they were greeted by protests, threats of violence, uh, but those common sense words, you know, the guy that was the shooter in Evaldi, now we, we're learning that he used to carry bags of dead cats around and threaten women. He hated women and girls. So we know a lot about him. He obviously had serious problems. You know, they always say, I don't know why they downplay that. I guess because they, the left, uh, has had so much impact on how we handle mental illness. We can't take people off the streets. Families cannot uh, in uh, commit their their family members who are they know they can't control and are off the rails 
Uh, so we've been, they take all the uh, uh, protections we used to have against people that are mentally ill and violent are gone. Uh, and so President Trump was speaking common sense, and I wanted you to hear that. Are we coming back next? Wow, what's happening with that Supreme Court investigation of the leak? We'll talk about it after this. Sandy Rios in the morning. Persecuted Christians, they love their enemies, and they count it all joy to suffer for the Lord Jesus, but they need your help today. This is Bible League International, and in the Middle East one day, radicals showed up and burned down the house of Nora, nearly killing her and her four daughters, the youngest of which, four years of age, maimed for life with serious burns all over her body. You know what her crime is? Simply that Nora has been leading Arabic-speaking women to Christ, and they need Bibles there in the Middle East. And in Venezuela, a church has been rescuing women, some as young as 12, kidnapped and forced into prostitution by the drug cartel. They have paid dearly. In fact, one of the members was killed. His corpse pulled behind a truck. But I can tell you this group, even though they're persecuted, is focused on pointing these women to the hope of the gospel. They need Bibles. Bible League is sending God's word to 16,000 persecuted believers. We're halfway there. We need to wrap up by the end of June. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Would you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give it sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Ann Ganser. She's the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Nonproliferation Policy at the Department of State. Her office works to maintain and promote peaceful nuclear cooperation, safety, and the physical protection of nuclear materials and facilities. 2 Timothy 4.18 reminds us of the safety God provides us. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Dear God, we ask you to guide Ann Ganser as she works towards strength and safety for our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Nicole Ravive is the official singer of the national anthem for the New York Islanders. The other day, she had taken up her appointed spot on the ice and began singing the Star Spangled Banner. But by the time she got to the dawn's early light, something magical happened. The entire arena erupted in song. Nicole lowered her microphone and led the giant choir of hockey fans from Brooklyn and Massapequa through the rocket's red glare and bombs bursting in air, writing on Twitter that her heart was full, commending the best backup singers in the National Hockey League. For the past year, we've been told by the media and the Democrats that we are a divided nation, that we should be ashamed of our heritage, who we are. But the other night, Nicole Revive and the New York Islanders reminded us that no matter our skin color or how much money we have in the bank, we are still Americans, one nation under God. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. 
It's all about who knows what. Information's power. Those in the know are able to affect outcomes. A geyser of leaks spewed from Washington recently, ranging from leaked audio tapes to the prospective Supreme Court decision to the intelligence community. Tension is too high. The country is too crazy. That is a small suspect pool. I'm confident we don't have a master criminal working at the court. It's dangerous when people talk too much, uh, whether it's leaking in private or talking in public about specific intelligence issues. Leaks aren't new. Washington sprang leaks during Watergate. There were the Pentagon Papers, even a leak about the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973. It's like oxygen to the press to have sources on the inside to tell them what's really going on. So I, I, I think it's it really is a matter of of how business gets done in Washington. Leaks come in all forms, mysterious envelopes, encrypted emails, and even rendezvous with shadowy sources in parking garages, Woodward and Bernstein style. Leaks flooded Washington recently about embattled GOP North Carolina Representative Madison Cawthorn just before his primary. Leaks are never on accident, right? The number one thing you always have to ask yourself when leaks happen is who benefits here? But the public is suspect of leaks, especially if news consumers don't trust reporters. Journalists could do a lot more to educate the public about how they handle um, leaked information so that the public might have a little more faith in the journalistic process. Okay, that was a report from Chad Program of Fox News. And yes, that's true. I think we've had more leaks in this last few years since uh, President Trump was elected than any time in my life. Uh, and uh, it's become a very dangerous thing. In fact, let me just read something to you from Justice Clarence Thomas, who basically says that um, I do think that what happened at the court is tremendously bad. Speaking of that leak on the SCOTUS decision on Roe versus Wade. Uh, He said, I wonder how long we're going to have these institutions at the rate we're undermining them. And then I wonder, when they're gone or destabilized, what will we have as a country? And I don't think the prospects are good if we continue to lose them. So that's the sobering admonition of Justice Clarence Thomas. Joining us this morning is uh, our good friend Hans von Spakowski, uh, who is with Heritage Foundation. He's the manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative. He's also part of the—he's a senior legal fellow at the Mies Center for Legal and Justice Judicial Studies. Also, he was at the Justice Department. And most of all, the number one thing on his resume is he's a good friend. Good morning, Hans. (laughs) Good morning, Hans. Are you there? How interesting. Hans, are you there? Hans, are you there? All right. Uh, you guys need to tell me what's happening here. I'll keep talking while you fix this out. I can't hear you guys back in the station either, so tell me if you're if I'm off the air or something. Okay. All right. We're having some trouble with the audio for Hans, so now I know. All right. Let me go ahead and begin this because, uh, you know, about almost four weeks ago, uh, the, the word leaked on the street that the SCOTUS decision written by Alito, that was the part that was leaked, that they were going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And you can you know what a firestorm it caused. You know, violence in the streets. Uh, several of the justices had to move out of their homes. Uh, they, they actually, you know, revealed their residences, which is illegal, and put in danger. Just, just so much upheaval and threats. And, of course, uh, a wonderful way, a political, really, move, I think, uh, to whip people into a frenzy for this November election. Uh, but um, why is it taking so long? 
Why don't we know something? It's been almost four weeks and it's been silent. Does it take that long? Uh, The Supreme Court's not that big. There aren't that many clerks. So what's happening with that? And that's what we want to discuss with uh, Hans when he joins us. I have lots to tell you, but I kind of want Hans to tell you that. So um, let's see. Maybe we'll go back to something else while we wait for this. Um, I don't. I, you guys tell me what the progress is. Is it just okay? All right, all right. But then I'm going to change the subject for a second, and uh, I want to talk to you about again about President Biden and gun control because, as I told you, in Uvalde, uh, the whole issue of gun control has come up again, as you know. And um, President Biden, in his usual form over the weekend, said a lot of things that were pretty egregious. And one of them was about the Second Amendment. Uh, Actually, I should go back to Chuck Todd. He was on NBC, and he made this comment. Now, Chuck Todd is a uh, MSNBC host leftist. And this is what he said about the Second Amendment, clip three. No member of Congress has been voted out of office for being too pro-gun. Not one. So until the majorities who claim they want tougher background checks and to get assault weapons off the street vote like they mean it, we can expect to hear more calls for thoughts and prayers. And that's it. Because this current version of the Republican Party is being held hostage by a vocal minority obsessed with an absolute right that does not exist. Well, That's news to all of us that the Second Amendment is not an absolute right that doesn't exist, because let me remind you that it is an amendment to the Constitution, and it says, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep the people, the people, the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. All right, well, we're going to come back to that. You can bet we will, but Hans is with us now. Hans, I gave you such an elaborate introduction, and then you weren't there. Good morning. I'm so glad you are there. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I was uh, Somehow I was listening to dead air, but uh, thanks for having me back, Sandy. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. It's been too long. So I, I did the setup, and I talked about how it's been almost four weeks now since this leak came out. Uh, I did not get into the Will Chamberlain accusations, but uh, I guess the issue, let's just cut to it. Uh, what is taking so long? Why would it take this long to find out who the leaker was? Well, look, I part of the problem is we don't know what they are doing. They're keeping it confidential, which is what you're supposed to do when you're doing a law enforcement uh, investigation. Um, you know, my concern is that the chief justice, he didn't call in the FBI. He said instead, they issued a press statement saying that... Um, Colonel Gail Curley, who is in charge of security at the court, she's the marshal for the court, is in charge of the investigation. Now, look, I I don't know her. I'm sure she's a very competent individual, but she's a former Army JAG officer. And by chief security officer, what that means is she's in charge of making sure that the justices are protected, which is very important right now, given given what's been going on. But what what that doesn't tell me is, well, how much experience does she actually have in an investigation? How many folks does she have working for her who actually have experience as investigators not providing security? And that's that's something we just don't know. I I, I worry that 
um, where they didn't call in the FBI, they didn't call in trained investigators, uh, they handed it over to someone who really, this isn't their forte. Look, look, here's what should have been done. I think it's highly likely, highly probable that this was a law clerk. I think it was a law clerk for one of the liberal justices. I think it was one of the law clerks for whom... Uh, you know, abortion is almost a religion. I think, that, you know, it's someone who's a, a, almost a zealot about it. And what should have happened is the first week she was appointed, every single law clerk for every single justice should have been called in, put under oath, and immediately asked whether they uh, leaked this document or not. Um, by doing that, the person uh, uh, that is being questioned would have risked being prosecuted for lying to a federal agent if they actually leaked it and they lied about it. Um, and that should have been done immediately to see if there were any, it was anyone who, when asked that question, said, uh, well, I'm taking the fifth. Because if they refuse to answer that, if they refuse to simply say whether they leaked it or not, they would immediately become the prime suspect. What we don't know is if that actually happened. That that should have been done immediately. I say that as a former justice lawyer, and so far we just haven't heard if anything like that has happened. You know, Hans, uh, okay, I think it was, <clears throat> I'm with you because I we're in the same camp um, philosophically about what's happening in the country. I think it was likely a, a clerk from a, a liberal judge, but news reporters are saying, no, it was a probably a clerk from a conservative justice uh, trying to make sure that none of the justices like Roberts uh, changed their mind on reversing the decision. Why wouldn't that be I, true? I, I, no, I just don't believe that because I, I know a number of the uh, law clerks. They are ethical professionals. And I just don't believe in any way that they would do that. By the way, I mean, speaking of the news media, you notice that they are not doing their job because their jobs ought to be investigating this and trying to find out the leak. Look, Sandy, you and I both know that if the roles were reversed, let's assume for just a second that, that liberals had a majority on the court and they had a big Second Amendment case, and a, a, a decision was leaked out indicating that they were basically going to erase the Second Amendment from the Constitution, which is, of course, what, what liberals would like to do. Um, you and I both know that reporters would be at the condos, apartments, and houses of every single law clerk who works for a conservative justice asking them whether they are the ones who leaked it. Yet, no one in the press is doing that well, uh, in the mainstream press. Excellent point. Or to find out point. Who, leaked, who leaked it. Yeah, excellent they, point. They don't want to know. They now, don't want to know. Let me mention uh, what you are fully aware of. But, uh, now, this is a speculation. It's a speculation by Will Chamberlain, who is the publisher of Human Events and also the senior counsel for the Article 3 project with Mike Davis, and this is what he says. He said, meet Elizabeth Deutsch. She's currently a law clerk for Justice Breyer. And in my humble opinion, she's the most likely person to have leaked the draft Supreme Court opinion in Dobbs purporting to overturn Roe versus Wade. Then he lays out his case. It's very compelling. 
Uh, she has a career that's been mostly, all, almost solely focused on abortion. She wrote her law school note on abortion. She wrote op-eds about reproductive rights. She worked at the ACLU working on abortion. She clerked for a stridently pro-choice appellate judge, and it just so happens that her husband is a journalist who shares bylines with Josh Gerstein, who at Politico is the one that broke this story, and it looks like they're still buddies. And then he clearly says, look, I don't know that Elizabeth Deutsch leaked the draft opinion, but I certainly think someone who has spent much of their life, their academic and professional life fighting to expand the right to get an abortion could be desperate enough to do so. All right, so your thoughts about that, Hans? Well, again, you know, he he's purely speculating, doesn't have any actual evidence. He's just tying together all these separate points. But here's the thing about it. Uh, again, if you were to reverse the roles here, uh, reporters would be asking her, did you do this? Not a single reporter that I know of from the Washington Post or anybody else has contacted her. She has not issued a statement denying this. Look, the easy way to stop this kind of speculation is to issue a statement saying, I didn't do it. She hasn't done that. Uh, Why has no one questioned the reporter, her husband, who works for now the Washington Post? No one has asked him uh, about this either. Again, they could easily squelch this by saying, no, uh, I don't know anything about it. I, I do know my wife didn't do it. But nobody has asked those questions. And I, you know, I have to wonder about that. Why haven't they denied that uh, she's the one who did this? Hans, before you, before you join me, I read the quote from Clarence Thomas's response to all of this where he talks about how this is a destruction of the institutions, and he's not sure how much longer we're going to have them, and then what are we going to have? So my question to you is, I really don't know what the response of other justices have been. I mean, wh- how, have, how has the court responded? What's, what, is, uh, what, is the, what is John Roberts? Well, I know John Roberts has been vocal. He's very disgusted about it. Uh, but how about Elena Kagan, and how about uh, the other— the uh, Justice Breyer, who is, you know, that's his clerk that we're speculating about. Any of them said anything about this? Uh, no, not not that I've seen. Uh, I think it would have been very useful and helpful if, uh, rather than just having a press statement coming out from the press office at the just at at the Supreme Court, I think it would have been very helpful if uh, a statement had been issued, signed onto by all of the justices. Um, denouncing this, uh, asking the leaker to come forward, um, and basically saying how terrible this was and what an attack it was on the court. And I, I'm disappointed, frankly, that that hasn't happened. Well, you know what else makes me my eyebrows go up and my ears perk up? But well, no, that's I just concerned. Why hasn't this decision been released? What are they waiting for? Well, I don't think they wanted. To, look, it may not have been. It may not have been finished. The writing of it may not be finished. I mean, keep in mind that, yeah, we've got this decision, but we've got at last count, um, we had we have like thirty cases left. So yeah, this is an important case. The New York uh, gun case involving the Second Amendment is important, but. Uh, there's a lot of cases where we're still waiting for decisions, and um, 
I suspect they might not have released it because they don't want to feel like they're responding to the pressure coming from this incident. But yes, but in your worst fear, because John Roberts is a coward, I'm saying that, uh, what's your worst fear about his response to this? And what do you think this leak is just going to go quiet? And do you think something nefarious is going to happen with this potential overturn of Roe versus Wade as a response? Is it going to affect the decision or the way he handles this particular case? Uh, no, I think if I, I think it's probably a liberal clerk that leaked this. And if they believe that this would um, cause all this hysteria, which, of course, it did, and that that would result in public pressure on the conservative justices to change their minds and change their votes, I think they made a very big miscalculation because I think this so... I, Clarence Thomas is a good example of this, but I, I look, I know some of the other justices too. I have not talked to them about it, but I know them well enough to tell you that this probably makes them really, really angry, and it would probably cement them into the decision they've made, not cause them to reverse it. So uh, whatever this liberal clerk uh, was trying to do, I think the result is going to be the exact opposite. In the uh, the the. The, the opinion, the the draft opinion by uh, Sam Alito. What I don't, what I actually don't know, and I, I need to ask you, Hans. Did did they uh, speculate what the vote count was going to be? Was there anything in there? Is that just speculation, or was there something concrete about who's who's taking what position? No, I think it it that that's just speculation. I don't think we really know where Chief Justice Roberts is. We we know for certain 100% that, of course, the three liberal justices um, will rule uh, to uphold Roe versus Wade. Uh, I, I, I think it's pretty certain the other justices are all going to go along with Alito. The only one I might have doubts about is Chief Justice Roberts, who always is trying to, it seems like, find a middle way between the two sides, but you know what? They don't need his vote. <laughs> well, isn't that <laughs> don't good need his vote. for a change? Yeah. Thank goodness. All right. Yeah. Well, we have about a minute left, Hans. So one last thing I, I read again, Clarence Thomas's statement on this, but as a, as a long standing attorney from the justice department, working at heritage at a great understanding of constitutional law and the system of government, what is the damage done to the court by this leak? First of all, it is people need to understand this this leak, if it was one of the clerks, is one of one of the most um, egregious violation of the professional code of conduct. It's a disbarable offense. And yet this clerk, which we I think it probably was, if it was a law clerk, was so driven by his or her, like I said, it's deletery. It's almost it's, it's almost like a replacement. For religious beliefs, this, this uh, views on on Roe versus Wade and abortion that they basically risk being disbarred to do this. And no, I don't care which side of the abortion issue you're on, you should be concerned about a system that uh, destroys the ability of a court to function, which yes. it can't. Yes, when it's it, it, it yeah. shows to relief. 
Okay, well, that, that spells it out very well. Hans von Spakowski, Heritage Foundation. Thanks, Hans. Thank you for joining us. Great to talk to you. We'll talk again soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of Scripture and preaching the whole counsel of God. We believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for Christ is our duty. For too long, the pulpits of America have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty. Join us in the battle for truth on Stand in the Gap weekend, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. on American Family Radio, and visit us at AmericanPastorsNetwork.org. Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Romans 12.2. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Paul's epistle to the Romans was written to believers. This verse highlights the fact that it's possible for Christians to be conformed to the world's ways. The word conform there means to be squeezed into the mold of another. Rather than being squeezed into the world's mold, the Lord requires us to be transformed by having our minds renewed by God's word. Everything about us must be held up to the light of scripture. And wherever there's any discrepancy, we must be transformed. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III public policy analyst for the American Family Association. What's your favorite place to visit when you go to the Holy Land? Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. That's a question I get asked frequently, either before we go to Israel or while we're there with the folks that we see the Holy Land with. And I have to say, my favorite place is and there's so many places to visit it's like picking your favorite child right which child do you love the most so it's hard to say but i gotta tell you going to the sea of galilee getting on the boat and riding out to the middle and then having a worship experience there with the folks who are with us it's just hard to put into words for all the information on our march 2023 trip to israel go to the website twholyland.com twholyland.com. Everything's there, the cost, the itinerary, etc. Join us, won't you? This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Incredibly, at the stroke of midnight tonight, an obscure federal agency will enable the retirement savings of military men and women past and present and their civilian counterparts to be invested in companies controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Worse yet, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board is not going to warn the participants in its thrift savings plan that they are making such investments. What could possibly go wrong? 
Well, for starters, in the words of one of America's most storied warriors, Lieutenant General William Jerry Boykin, this action is tantamount to, quote, treacherous sedition, unquote. He and five other influential retired military leaders wrote the board last week declaring, quote, the government of the United States should be precluding any underwriting of the CCP's ominous military buildup and human rights abuses, not legitimating and facilitating them, unquote. If you agree, say so at notspforccp.org. This is Frank Afney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. And remember, the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. You couldn't buy a cannon when the Second Amendment was back. You couldn't go out and purchase a lot of weapons. Cannon, the Second Amendment is not absolute, says the President of the United States, you know, who once was a defender of gun rights, but uh, I think we're in for a real battle. Uh, this uh, slaughter, you know, in the school, it, it, people just don't see clearly. They get very emotional, and rightfully so. This is just horrific. But as I said, remember when the uh, gentleman in uh, Wisconsin drove through that Christmas parade and plowed down, I've forgotten how many people, and killed them. Uh, did anyone call for doing away with cars? Because after all, if guns are what kill people and not people, then cars are what kill people, not the drivers. It's just illogical, and so we have to really uh, hold on to our intellect and our understanding and not just listen to our emotions. We have to, our emotions have to be guided by our reason and our mind. Uh, so uh, he then he went on to say, of course, as you heard him say, that uh, when the Second Amendment was passed, you couldn't buy a cannon when that was passed. You couldn't go out and purchase a lot of weapons. Well, Jonathan Turley, who's not a conservative, but he's a constitutionalist, appeared on Fox and had this to say, clip six. There's a real chilling effect on people talking about the facts of gun control. You know, people want to suggest that, you know, you can simply legislate away gun violence. That's not going to happen. There's 400 million weapons in this country, 15 million of which are estimated to be AR-15s. But it also is a fact that when we banned uh, assault weapons uh, for uh, that earlier period, there was not an appreciable decrease in gun violence associated with it. So we can have what the president calls a common sense discussion, but we need to be able to deal with it on a factual rather than purely rhetorical way. And it's got to start with the president. He, today he repeated a clearly false statement about the history of the Second Amendment. Many of us have repeatedly said that his statement that you could not own a cannon or other weapons when the Second Amendment was ratified is untrue. Even the Washington Post admitted it's untrue. And yet the president keeps on repeating that as a defense for his call for gun control. He's undermining his own case by repeating what is, ironically, disinformation. It has to be repeated because I think that um, Americans, to my great dismay and yours too, uh, don't know their history. Many of you that I'm talking to are young enough that uh, I'd say if you started school, if you started, you, you were in the 70s, that's when it started. That's when our American school system was really gutted of its content. Not at, not at once, but that's when it started. I watched it with my own eyes. Uh, and the, the understanding and knowledge of our history is just not there. 
Um, one of the things that Bruce and I love to do is we watch the History Channel. We watch all these. We've been watching this special on Ben Franklin. Uh, we wa- we've been watching one on uh, George Washington. And you have to be careful because you, if you don't know history, they get things wrong too. But still the basics are there of the story of our founding. And the story of our founding is that a group of people left their native countries uh, into a completely unknown country because of the tyranny of that country. Now, specifically now, we'll talk about England, King George, the tyranny. You had no rights. You had a king. Uh, And especially if you were not British-born, they began to see that the British were abusing America and taking advantage and putting a tax burden on them and uh, not giving them any kind of respect, just using them, and then killing them later as things got heated up before the revolution even started, uh, shooting them in the streets and uh, you know, taking taking them on ships to serve in their navy. Uh, no respect and no protection for Americans. And that's why our founding fathers understood that if they, too, were armed, then a tyrannical government, because the people in Great Britain, the subject of, of the king, couldn't carry guns and defend themselves, a tyrannical government rules its tyranny by the threat of violence. That's what happens. And so people must be armed so that they can ward off tyranny. And that's part of why they wrote, you know, in the preamble that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, that is the right to pursue happiness, the right to liberty, to life, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new governments. Now, how are they going to do that if they can't arm themselves? And that's why The First Amendment was the right to free speech. The second, and worship, not just worship, freedom of religion, freedom to believe, not just the way you worship. They want to limit it to that. Now, it's much broader than that, that you can believe anything you want to believe. No one's going to make you believe anything in particular, especially about your faith. Um, And so the First Amendment, right? and you can say anything you want to say. So the First Amendment was that, but the Second Amendment was the thing that enforced and made sure that you kept that First Amendment to be able to speak your opinions, to criticize your government, and even to fight back if you needed to. And so that's why it says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, shall not be infringed. When Joe Biden said it's not an absolute right, when Chuck Todd said it's not an absolute right, they are just wrong, wrong, wrong. If people knew their history, they would laugh. They would laugh at a statement like that. And why do we need these rights? I was just listening. I remembered I found something. Something was sent to me a couple of weeks ago, and I've been frantically trying to find it, and here it is. I just found it. It's from the New York Times, dated November 9th, 1939. And this is, I'm reading from the New York Times, November 9th, 1939. Simultaneously, the Berlin police president, Count Wolf Heinrich von Heldorf, announced that as a result of police activity in the last few weeks, the entire Jewish population of Berlin has been disarmed with the confiscation of 2,569 hand weapons, 1,702 firearms, and 20,000 rounds of ammunition. Any Jews still found in possession of weapons without valid licenses are threatened with the severest punishment. New York Times, November 1939. Does anyone remember what happened to the Jews in Germany? 
Does anyone remember that they were marched to the gas chambers and led to their death, that they were subjected to medical experiments, horrific experiments, painful experiments, that they were exterminated if they, you know, gradually in different ways, they experimented on the extermination, the ways they made, they made lampshades out of human skin, the Nazis. Now that, you can say, oh, that, our, our government would never do that. Are you really sure? Have you been watching in the streets the hatred of people who believe in God, people of the book, more generally, Christians, Jews, whoever? Uh, do you see their hatred toward people that want to defend life in the womb? Uh, do you really think, uh, looking on Twitter, that people now in this country would not do things as horrendous if we had no way of protecting ourselves? And I'm giving you my narrow view of that, but it expands a lot more. I just read, by the way, this is scary to me. In the blaze over the weekend, I saw two stories about people using guns to protect other people. There was a graduation party, uh, and a woman, a guy came in and started brandishing a gun, was going to shoot all these people at this party. And a woman who was armed took her, her gun out of her purse and shot him and killed him. And then another uh, in a ho- armed home invader, uh, these two guys wearing ski masks, invaded a home, shot the homeowner, but he had a gun, and he shot them both. He, the homeowner is in the hospital. The guys with the ski mask are dead. Now, here's the, the scary thing about this. I read that story last night, and this morning, I can't find either of those stories. I see the headlines on the blaze, but you cannot get the body of those stories. That's a whole other issue, except that that's frightening to me. Now, maybe it's a fluke. Maybe it's a fluke. I didn't have the time to do an exhaustive search, but I have sent out alarm flags to people at the blaze about this uh, because you must understand that guns, it is true that good people with guns do wonderful things to help save innocent victims, but also we as a people must maintain our right to defend our constitutional and God, most of all, God-given rights. Uh, and so we're beginning, we're going to coming under an assault like we've never seen, probably worse than ever with this government being what it is right now. Uh, but that's just a little touch on what's in store. I didn't get a chance to play for you. Justin Trudeau just declared that handguns are going to be illegal. They're going to be confiscated in Canada. You can't carry a gun. Oh, what a nightmare. Oh, what a nightmare for the Canadians. Look what they did to the Canadian truckers. What are they going to do to the people if they can't protect themselves? Sadie Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.